Okay, welcome to another episode. Of, uh, another episode of Keeping Podcast. Today we're we're gonna do our first movie review. Um, I'm again joined by Craig Skiff. Um, Craig, do you want to tell everyone what it is that we're reviewing today? Don't mind if I do. On this episode, for our first movie review, we will be taking a look. At the first movie of Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're going to be doing. The way this is going to be done, it's very, very simple. We'll just talk about general uh, general points of view, what we liked for the movie, what we didn't like the movie at first. And then we'll go into spoiler territory and stuff uh, later. And by the end of it, I think we can give like a a solid like rating out of ten, pretty much for a rating. I think that's the easiest way for us to get to go around this. So that we touch by major bits of the movie. If people don't want to get spoiled, we can at least say our points and views, and then. You know, say what we generally think for the movie, and then tell people if you don't want to, don't want to get spoiled. Pause right now, go watch the movie, and then unpause for the spoiler part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, I know with the, when when this is coming up, Craig, you were more excited about this movie than I was. So I feel like you should take the helm pretty much for this one. All right. I'll take the lead on this one. Going into phase five of the MCU, everyone kind of believed it was a jumbled mess with phase four. Um, I wouldn't say it was a jumbled mess. I, I think the problem was it again, it was we were still feeling the effects of Endgame. Which was a cons- like which if they didn't want to continue it in the end of the end game, I think no one would have complained. But the thing was that they're doing something brand new, something different, and it's quite obvious with the way the movies were in Phase Four that the movies weren't really connected to each other, which is what really started the downfall of the MCU and a lot of people's perspective going, have they have lost their edge, have they not uh, you know, figured out how to get this to work, really, or in some cases, do they even know what they're doing? Like, I'll admit, um, the idea of doing Phase Four movies with TV shows is a neat idea. I think it's a good way to get more product out there. But you need to find a way to connect it all, uh, to make it all work and connect it all, you know, specifically. And they didn't really do that in Phase 4. Instead, they were just throwing ideas out there and keeping them there and almost be like, yeah, this thing that, you know, we're, we're not really focusing on right now, we'll probably get back to it later. Yeah, they're trying to set up the concept of what we now know it was the opening phase of the multiverse saga. Yeah, and like I think we can easily say 
well, at least I can easily say, if we were going to compare this Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania to the other previous Ant-Man movies, uh, there is very little humor in Quantumania. They play it very straight, which, honestly, I would say was probably the best thing of the movie for me was the fact that there was no stupid tongue-in-cheek humor 80% of the time that made me groan and want to punch something. So, and that's something I will flat out say. I am not a fan of the Ant-Man movies. I generally don't like them. (laughs) I can appreciate the humor that Paul Rudd can bring as Scott Lang. What I really like about about this third movie in the trilogy, they really toned the comedy down and went for a much more serious tone in the series because you have to realize with the same writer who did Quantum Mania doing our first Avengers movie in six years coming up in 2025, it would make sense for the for Marvel to pivot from the lighthearted stuff that they did in the previous two Ant-Man movies and pivot to and set this movie up to where it's the stepping stone for the rest of the saga. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can appreciate that. And I also will say, like, um, like, if we're going into like bits of the movie that we both enjoyed, um, I think we can easily say um, that in terms of this being a lot less of the humor, a lot more of the focus on story and the drama, like it really helps Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania a lot in my mind. Um, I do think it's like the, it's a great starting point for Fears 5 and hopefully um, as we will see later on, uh, this will be connected to uh, one of the TV series, uh, which we'll get to eventually, and hopefully a couple of movies down the line, you know, we get those interconnections to start you know, to start happening, and you know, people will start to like it again, because let's be honest, this also makes sense, VS2 of the MCU was only when the interconnection stuff was beginning as well. And it wasn't until really when we got to Avengers Age of Ultron that people were like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? And I think maybe the the problem that people would have with Phase 4 is that there really wasn't anything that could tie itself to the Marvel's new big bad for the entire multiverse saga. Well, what we got in Kong, Loki, yeah, there was one that you can say ties in, but again, we'll get to that later. You know what I mean? Season one of what Loki gave us the glimpse is a glimpse of potentially the true terror that we are about to see in the multiverse saga and Ant Man the Wasp Quantum Mania is our first look 
at the newest big bad of the MCU and the man who, in my opinion, if done right, is going to supplant Thanos as the greatest villain the MCU has ever had. In this movie, we got our introduction to Kang the Conqueror. As was announced in 2020, played by Jonathan Majors. Yeah. And before we go into spoiler territory, I'm just going to say this. They casted the perfect man to yeah. be our time-traveling warlord. Yeah. Well, again, not getting into spoilers at all since since we did bring up Loki Season 1. When Jonathan Majors was in that as He Who Remains, uh, it was abundantly clear, oh, you're bringing in this ba- this actor who's known for Lovecraft con- for Lovecraft Country at the time in a, in a big role on the last episode of Loki. You don't do that unless you're really planning something big. And when it was announced that Jonathan Majors was Kang for Kang the, Con- Kang the Conqueror, I was like, Okay, this starts to make sense. He's going to be probably our next Thanos. Um, and by that, I mean like a villain that's going to be in multiple movies and you know, essentially become the big bad of the saga. Um, and honestly, I love how Jonathan Majors acts, I think he's a great actor. Uh, so I think they've knocked out of the park so far with how he is as Kang. Um, you know, and I'm looking forward to what they're going to do with him as an actor later on during the saga because it's going to be amazing, especially with all the different versions that we're most likely going to bump into. Um, yeah. Yeah. The different so, variants we're going to get of Kang the Conqueror. And I said it earlier after watching the movie get ready for some fucking mayhem in the MCU. Yeah. Like, because he's now been released. <laughs> um, I, I was gonna say okay again we're not really getting in this water stuff yet um if someone was going to ask me like what's the best parts of the ant-man movies and the first one i would say honestly high anything to do with hank pym and the pym family is usually quite great especially the 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 way hank and scott got along a way Hank, Hope, and Scott got along. You could tell he's not really part of the family at all. Scott's just there because they need him for something, and that's it. Um, and I'm on the Wasp. I would say my favorite character in it was Hope, Hope Van Dyne. Like as the Wasp, I thought it was it was perfectly natural for her to be confident, but also and also immediately knowing what to do since she did train Scott in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I think you may can both agree to an extent. This was Cassie Lang's movie. This was the movie for stature. Yes. Yes, indeed. A yes. lot of people are going to rag on Marvel for the recasting of Cassie Lang from Avengers Endgame to Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania. But I will say this. Catherine Newton has cemented herself as Cassie Lang slash stature. Yeah. I will be part of the minority that would say that, honestly, I prefer... I understand why it's stature, but I would have preferred it if it was Stinger. 
since he was in the purple outfit and stuff in the comics, I was hoping for it to be Stinger. But when they said stature, I was like, okay, yeah, they're going with that. It makes sense. It, we are still, this is still an Ant-Man movie. So, of course, you're going to go stature. But I was hoping for Stinger. Um, and I will also say, like, there was a lot of great things that they did with Cassie. Like, they gave her a natural character instead of being, you know, adorable daughter and you know, essentially damsel in some cases. Uh, and this, no, she actually got involved in more ways than one. And in some cases, similar to Scott in the first movie, got herself in the trouble a couple of times. She did. Yeah, she did. But, um, but one of the things that I do like is that Catherine Newton portrayed Cassie as an extremely smart member of the Ant family. Which she would oh. be because, again, they, it makes sense because with Scott being gone for those five years, I would be surprised if she didn't get smarter or got more in touch with the Pym family after Endgame. Like, I think that would have that was the natural progression. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of people may believe that Scott is. The dumb one in the group? Hey, compared, to, compared to the rest of them? Compared to the rest of the Ant family, that's a that's a, that's right in that territory. But he is not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. He's no, got Scott, a master's in electrical engineering. Yeah, Scott is not dumb, but compared to Hope and Janet and Hank, he kind and of is daughter. kind of the dumb one compared and to really those three. Too. Yeah, I, well, Cassie, I think Cassie's like as smart as Scott at this point because I, I don't know if she, she I think, I, I think she's not dark, darker from the guy, but she definitely understands the quantum realm and stuff similar to at least Hank. And then that's you know probably I mean? smart. That probably puts her on a higher level of intellect than Scott, to be very honest. I wouldn't want, uh, well, and also considering her age, then yeah. At 18. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah, and like another character, and I was actually very happy we got a lot of stuff with her in this. You can also say Quantumania is also Janet's movie. Yeah, yeah, you could, you could say that as well. Yeah, because we, I, and yeah, the big thing about Iron Man and the Wasp was trying to get Janet out of the quantum realm, hopefully, finally. So it's nice to know that in Quantumania, we eventually did get some stuff about Gianna in the Quantum Realm, which was nice. And it, and it wasn't just some small and it wasn't just some small stuff either. Yeah, it also made sense why she never brought it up because again, it builds a mistake and builds like the terror a little bit for time when we got to him later. Yeah, and the, the stuff that she was involved in in the quantum realm. It wasn't. It wasn't some small stuff. No, it was, it was big. some big time. It was some yeah. big time stuff. She did not want to talk about. Yeah, and, and, and of course, there's story. also the relationship that she had in the quantum realm with uh, Bill Murray's character in the movie. That I'm pretty certain it would be difficult to bring up <laughs> with your husband. Um, yeah, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
I think the I think because I think that's the broad strokes we can say about the movie and stuff. It does set up um things for later on. Trust me on that. We'll get to the we'll get to the postcard scenes and stuff in the spoiler discussion. So don't worry, we'll talk about it and everything. Um, oh, yeah. But I think um, for... and we have some theories on what might happen in Phase Six. Yeah, with the ending of Quantum Mania as we yeah. get to it. Okay. So, is there anything else really that we could talk about without going into spoilers? I don't think so. Don't think so. Okay. So, I'm letting you know right now. At pause the video right now at sixteen forty-five, and then you know we start as soon as we're done here because now we're in spoiler territory. So. Okay, so should we talk about the elephant in the room that we didn't bring up yet? Yeah, let's bring that let's bring that shit up, man. I mean, okay, that's okay, so case in point, uh in that man in the first Batman movie, Darren Cross was sent to the quantum realm, his limbs were going apart bit by bit, one by one. I knew as soon as I watched that movie, as soon as I saw that scene, I was like Okay, Darren's been dealt with, but he ain't dead in my mind. Like I was thinking, like, like ideally, if he was ever going to come back, he would probably want to come back as Modok. And I think I think we both I think we both said when we watched the first Ant Man movie, I think we both said, "Oh yeah, dead. We don't see a body there." Yeah, we and I always go with horror movie logic. If I don't see a body, that person ain't dead. Um, yeah, and essentially, as soon as Darren, you know, went the way he went into the quantum realm, I was hoping in Quantum Mania when it was announced that Kang was the villain, but he wasn't the only villain that we were going to get someone else. I was hoping it was Modok and hoping it was Darren Cross in the Modok suit. Uh, so because of that, and by the way, this was announced in 2020. I'm raising my hand up. I fucking called it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. Yes, yeah. you fucking did. Yeah. Oh my may though, the animation of it was terrible. But <laughs> yeah, the CGI um Corey Stoll's head. It is terrible. But then again, I don't know how you can make Modoc look good. It is designed purposely to be dumb. Yeah. In live action, no less. And animation. Animation is terrible as well. Yeah. Um, and in case you're wondering what MODOK stands for, MODOK stands for a mechanical organism designed only for killing. Yep. Yep. As soon as they said that, I was just, I was literally smiling from ear to ear going, oh my god, we're finally getting MODOK. And oh my god, it was horrifying how dumb it looked. Um... But you know, it ties in perfectly to the first Ant Man movie when you think about it. Yeah, and honestly, if they did Modok properly, like the original version of Modok and stuff in the comics, it would be very difficult to tie this in as an Ant Man movie. So I kind of like that they used Darren Cross to be Modok as a way to tie it more into becoming an Ant Man movie than a Avengers movie or a Iron Man movie per se. You know exactly. I mean? But it also, with the fact that we are in the multiverse saga, and it's now running rampant, 
<laughs> kind of opens the door for the George Tarleton version to make That's it true. Here. That's true. Just because we've we had one Modoc doesn't mean we won't get another. Exactly. We're in the multiverse now. We can get some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um speaking of weird shit, uh that bar scene with Bill Murray is easily <laughs> in terms of the humor, it's easily my favorite scene. Yeah. <laughs> um because and and yeah, there was there's also another character that they introduced in Quantumania, uh, which I think was um I know wasn't it Ash that brought this character up originally? And I was just like, yeah, I mean, they could, but I don't know if they would. And then actually, no, they did, but in such a minor role. It was the telepath guy. Oh, Quaz, yep. Yeah, yeah. Quaz is in Quantumania. And honestly, they did his character good. And there was actually a funny humor, humorous bit with him when, he, when Scott and him first met up. And it's literally like him going, no, don't think about that. No, don't think that. Or that. Or that. And it's literally, like, you don't know what he's talking about. It's literally meant to be a telepathical joke because he can literally read his mind. Yeah. And the scene when Cassie is encouraging Scott to drink the drink the ooze. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was some weird shit. Very weird. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it, kind of, it, made, it made sense to be able... It made sense in context. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also curious who they had the voice to use Blob Monster. Who? I don't know. I, that's something oh. I, I'm kind of curious about. <laughs> maybe a little later on. Eh, you never know. Maybe when we're done with this, maybe we'll look it up and find out. Um, yeah. But but yeah, like that character was pretty humorous. Like you have to have a Korg or a humorous monster character now in Marvel. Um, but I think we have delved. I think we've been able to stop long enough before actually talking about the main big bad. Let's talk about Kang for the next half an hour. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's that's. Explain this straight away. How does Kang the Conqueror work in that Man of the Wasp? It's very simple. In the story, the Kang in this movie is an exiled version of Kang, someone who has been essentially excommunicated from a certain order that we get to in the post credit scene and has been trapped in the quantum realm for at least, from what we know, 30 years maybe, but that's 30 years our time in the quantum realm that could be hundreds of years. We don't know. Um, and but like Scott I, said in, in Endgame, he was he felt that he was stuck in quantum realm for five hours when in reality he was gone for five, five years. Yeah, five years. So think about that. 30 years in the quantum realm that could lead up to I know like <sighs> I, I'm pretty good with my laugh, so let me let me make figure this out. Twelve hundred years, I'm guessing. That's twelve hundred years in the quantum realm, and that's just me thinking about it because if it's five minutes in the real world, it's five years in the quantum realm. Then, well, it's five hours in the quantum realm. Oh, five hours yeah. in the quantum realm. So 
translated then, five years. Yeah, five years, right? So then it would be essentially one minute, sorry, one hour for each year. <laughs> so you have to go by like, if it's 30, if it was 30 hours, then it would be 30 years. And you have to go from there. So it was like 30 times 60, then times. It's it's insane how big the number is. Trust me on that. I yeah. assumed it was 1,200. I was dead wrong. I just realized. Um, you need a you need to be a mathematician to figure that out. If only Mark was here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I say that jokingly. If you're wondering who our friend Mark is, he he's known for being pretty good at math. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah, like, essentially, and Janet was the one that first met Kang in the quantum room when he first arrived, and they essentially helped each other to rebuild Hank's, uh, sorry, uh, Kang's time chair, and that's when we find out something very interesting about the time core, where Janet was... Our multiversal energy core. Yeah, where Janet essentially connected the Kang's mind to see potentially a possible future of what would happen if Kang left the quantum realm, which was him pretty much conquering an entire universe or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, Janet, instead of uh, helping Kang, decides to expand the uh, core exponentially to the point that it cannot be used and it ends up being a giant effing crater. <laughs> yeah. And by, uh, and by the way, can we just take a quick quick minute to just admire Kang's costume for the MCU? Oh, yeah. Very it, comic it, accurate. It's about as comic accurate as you could possibly get. Yeah. And it looks damn good. And honestly, if you can do that with Kang, I'm just saying this. When you get to Doctor Doom, please make it comic accurate and please don't do what you do in the movies and just make it be a suit of armor and not like it's something that is surgically stuck to the guy's face. Please. I I feel that the way with this costume team... For Marvel, they get it right. Yeah, I trust their costume team to get get Doctor Doom right. Yeah, because the, uh, they, they got I, they got Kang right. I mean, if they can get Kang right, you can hopefully get Doctor Doom and Galactus right when you get to them eventually. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm just gonna say this: I think one of the best things by Kang was like. He felt like a force in nature, like an unstoppable force in nature. Oh my god. Like, I love that he made a deal to get what he wanted and then immediately backs, immediately breaks it because it's just like, I mean, he's the bad guy. Of course, he's going to break the deal. Yeah, because he's got his energy core. Yeah, he, he got what he wanted. Fuck anyone else. Um, and. The only thing I think we have to bring up with Kang, and this was something that was kind of, I kind of was like, eh, that's when I started the, going, this is so good. And it, you made him so unstoppable. And he was defeated by an army 
I have super intelligent ants. Because of Hank. I'm like, I mean, you give, you give Michael Douglas a big thing, and I love that. But at the same time, I'm like, this is Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> now, frightfully, he did, that was not the end of Kang, but hopefully. But him in his full-powered suit getting beaten by an army of ants. And that was kind of the punk, punk out moment. I, I don't see it as a punk out moment. I mean, the fact that it took... I mean, it's the super intelligent ants from Hank Pym that he that he that he raced. Yeah, you have a, someone as intelligent as Hank that can go that would be able to go toe to toe with the technology of Kang the Conqueror. Kind of, kind of a bit of a stalemate, if you ask me. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll leave that to the debate. Um, and then of course, I love that. You know, the Van Dynes got their moments in this in the in the final battle. Everyone got their moment practically, but when it came down to it, Scott throws Cassie into the portal to send her back. He stayed behind to stop Kang, and it wasn't a thing where Kang can easily overpower Scott or anything like that because. His uh, suit was pretty much damaged at that point. It was a fist fight. And you could just tell Scott was not winning this. <laughs> no. And, and it led to probably the one thing which, if you watch the trailers, was repeated a lot, which was we both don't have to, none of us have to win. We both just have to lose. Yeah. And yeah, that line of, I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. Yeah. I don't, again, you forbode that a lot only for, uh, hope this to come back and essentially help Scott defeat Kang doing the same thing that they, that they did to get the core, which was shrink it. Which means Kang got shrunk to a microscopic uh, point. And again, similar to how it was with Darren Cross, which tells me he ain't dead. And we we saw this no. before with Darren, and he came back in this movie. Yeah, what Scott was, and what Scott meant by that line of, I don't have to win, we both just have to lose. He was truly trying to keep the both of them in the quantum realm. Oh, he was well, yeah, but it's also his damnedest. Yeah, it's also him out. potentially sacrificing himself to save his daughter. And the fact, that, and one of the things that Quantumania touches up on is the dynamic between father and daughter, which is nice because we don't really get that in a Marvel movie. And it, it just shows that Scott was willing to sacrifice everything. Yeah. So that his daughter Cassie could live. Yeah, true, true. Um, I, I will also say because I have to bring this up before we get into our post credit stuff and things like that. Um, uh, one thing I will say was very telling and interesting to me. Um, you make Bulldog such a lackey, 
in this movie, like he obeys Kang because Kang helped him give him the suit and everything right, so he can survive. And then when it looked like Cross was going to go out of his way to maybe do something for himself, Kang kept him in line very easily. Um, so Modok essentially turning face temporarily to protect Cassie was a bit of a surprise, but the bit where essentially it's like, oh yeah, you're totally an Avenger now. I was just like, oh. <laughs> that That's almost like the wet, that's almost like the typical thing that we got in, in uh, Infinity War when Spider-Man was in space with, you know, Strange and Iron Man and Tony was just like, okay, night, like pretends the night and goes, you're an Avenger now. <laughs> Yeah. Like that was that it felt like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to think of Darren Cross as an Avenger. Like he is definitely not that. No, he's not. He's not. He is a jackass. That's all he is. Yeah. All the shit he gave Scott in the first Ant Man movie. Yeah. He was the one that turned the tide. He is the one that stopped Kang. I'm like, no. <laughs> no. Um, but can we also get back to where there's the speech that Kang has when he's talking about the multiverse. Yes. It's and very chilling. Yes, his plan. It almost of... gives me he who remains vibes when you really think about it. Which I think was the point because it's the same person. And he has that circle, that energy circle above his palm where he's talking about, I'm trying, he's essentially saying, because of my variants, they're playing with time like it, like they're children. I'm yeah, trying yeah. to prevent that shit from happening. Yeah, it again, it puts him in the perspective similar to he who remains at that point when we met him in Loki. But the interesting thing is, which is the diff- which is what he says afterwards, which is he doesn't want to just you know kill his variants. He wants to t- remove them from time. In other words, he wants to remove their complete universes and timelines. That is definitely a he who remains type of thing because the only thing Kang was missing at that point is a fucking gas monster called Elias, and then that would have been it. Um uh, but 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 yeah, it's interesting, and that's that's a good that's a thing I want to bring up. What if, and this is a good what if to think about, what if the kind of conqueror that we met in Quantumania ended up becoming he who remains that we met before at the end of Loki season one? That was kind of the same thought I had. What if? This the Kang we see saw in Quantum Mania ultimately winds up becoming he who remains again. Well, I'm that's very well, very interesting to think about. Well, remember what he remains last words were: "See you again." I'll see you again. I'll see you soon. Yeah, like like he's pretty much telling us we'll see him again. Um. And yeah, we did because he's kind, but 
the interesting thing is, and I want to bring this up because it's another one to think about. Since we are now getting to the point where we have to talk about the push press scene a little bit, um, so that line again of saying his variants are act are treating are acting are used time like they're children, like they don't understand what it is and they're just messing around with it. So, and this is the debate that led him to get exiled from that specific group. The first post-credit scene of the of Quantumania is the reveal of the Council of Kangs. <laughs> yep. And I know there's one variant that you're very excited of was essentially one of the three leaders of it. Um yes. Ramatat. Yes. But the, but the interesting thing is the three main ones from the council that they showed were Ramatat, the Scarlet Centurion. And Immortus, I want to say, was the third one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's Immortus. Yeah, and Immortus was the call. was the main guy. The Immortus was the one almost in, in control. Yeah. Which is very interesting. But what's also interesting is that Scarlet Centurion and Ramatut, they were at each other's throats a little bit. Yeah, and another thing is Ramatut gave preference to Immortus while Scarlet Centurion didn't. Yeah, he almost opposed him. Um, and and, and what that basically shows is that even the three main the three main variants for the Council of Kangs, they don't get along. And no. you could tell when we see the wide shot of all the different versions of Kang the Conqueror, of all the different Kangs, they do act a lot like they're crazy mad children. Yeah. And it's almost and again, you kind of make kind of conquerors in at least the one we get in that one the wasp, right? Like these guys are acting like children, and if they're the ones who control the multiverse, making changes and making timelines to suit themselves, which is the whole point of the Council of the Kings, is that they do this for their own set for the because they want to and because it's for their own ambitions. It, but it's interesting to point out that is because of those changes and stuff. That's what's going to lead us into another multiversal war. But we always thought up until Quantumania that the war was going to be between themselves. It's not. It's going to be the council against Earth... Sorry, Universe uh, 616. In particular, the Avengers... Because Scott was the one that defeated Kang the Conqueror in Quantumania, in particular the one they refer to as the Exiled. Exiled. Yeah. And they called out that council because they believe that the Exiled one was killed. No, no, yeah. Now, you and me... In 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 the opinion of the three main variants that we saw... They believe that the exiled Kang is dead. Yeah. You and me to think us, completely differently. <laughs> oh, yeah. We think this version of Kang we saw in Quantumania is not dead and perhaps not by a fucking long shot. Nah, I think I think we're going to get a bigger endgame with him down the line. Uh, almost in certain, <laughs> almost certainty. But the big thing I want to bring up about the kinds of the Kangs, which... You know, that was the first big one. I'm like, so everyone's kind of wondering, 
before Quantumania, why Avengers 5 is called the Kang Dynasty. Kang like, Dynasty. what is the Kang Dynasty? I'm telling you right here, right now, the Kang Dynasty is literally the Council of Kangs. That is it. Yep. Um, and uh, what and more, what the Immortus variant said, they are getting, they're starting to know about the multiverse, which means we have to speed up our plans. Exactly, because they don't want anyone else to know about the multiverse and start messing around with stuff that they are doing because that will lead into some conflict um, in their mind, but also because they want to be the ones in charge. Rick and Morty exactly. style. Um, yeah. Is that joke? But yeah, that's fucking true. Um, and, but the, and, but the other it's one... Appropriate that, and it's appropriate that you make that reference because one of the lead writers of Rick and Morty <laughs> Is the one who wrote the script for Quantum Mania and is doing the script for the Kang Dynasty, which is also ironic because the whole point of the Council of Ricks is that originally it is a shot and a joke at Marvel with the Council of Kangs or the Council of Reeds. <laughs> so I kind of love that that's how aware they are with this shit. Um, <laughs> but 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 yeah. So here's the other. So that was one post scene and it was fucking huge. So okay, that was the mid, and by the way, that wasn't the end of the credits one. That was mid credits. So what was oh, the end yeah, of credits yeah, one? Yeah. What's the end credits one, right? So the end credits one is a scene that we might get again in Loki season two, most That's likely, it. which is the reveal of Victor Creel. Victor Timely. Oh. Sorry, Victor Timely, thank you. I thought it was Victor Creel. Oh, no, Victor Creel's absorbing man from fucking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff. We gotta eventually get around to watching that. Yeah, okay. And also, technically, uh, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen absorbing man. But, uh, but yeah, like, Victor Timelin, a.k.a. another version of Kang of Conqueror, and the person that notices who that person is... It's Loki from uh, Loki Season 1, Tom Hiddleston. And, of course, we get to see Mobius as well. Gotta love Owen Wilson. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's our little like little tease for Loki Season 2. So, if you guys want to see the next bit of the Kang storyline, watch Loki Season 2 in the summer. That is what they're saying. If you want to yeah. know the next bit, watch that. And, uh, and it's kind of crazy with the dynamic. Mobius is like, he doesn't seem that powerful, but Loki tells him he is. Yeah, he is. And it almost seems like with this variant in the post credit in the second post credit scene, it seems like they are they are in the early twentieth century. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that's the point of this invention, exactly. In the because comics, in the comics, Victor Timeline, he's not. I think he's meant to be. Like a person that kind of shows up in the Midwest. Yep, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, but oh, but in terms of the timeline, I want to say, like, I don't want to say, you know, Wild West, but I would say around that era is when he's meant to This seems early 20th century. Which being, feels about right because I don't think they're going to do Wild West because that wouldn't be right. No, th- th- this does not feel... That that post credit scene does not feel Wild West. It feels well, more like 1910s, 1920s America. 
Which I think is the point because exactly in the which comics, is exactly that. yeah, because in the comics, I think it was Wild West era or early 20th century era, but it was uncertain which one it was. You know what I mean? So I kind of like that they're going century. earlier. Sorry, I like that fact they're going early 20th century because it makes a bit of sense. That's the point where people were starting to invent stuff for the benefit of humanity and evolution of how society works. So of yeah, course, considering the light bulb had just had been had been created about twenty about twenty years prior. Exactly, things so were starting course, to pick up. Yeah, so of course this would be the perfect time for someone like Kang the Conqueror to you know almost coerce and entice people to start thinking about the possibilities of time travel and multiversal stuff because at that point in time people were literally making stuff for the sake of seeing if it would work or not. It just made sense. Um, but yeah, that was our second post-credit scene of set up for essentially Loki season two, which I'm looking forward to because that's essentially going to be Loki's essentially telling the story of the rise of Kang the Conqueror, which is great. Um, but here's something I want to throw, throw at you, Craig, because it is, this is something since we're talking about Loki here that we have to bring up. So we saw Loki, we saw Mobius. Where's Ravana? Where's Renslayer? Yeah, that is a very... Oh, yeah, that's a really... Usually, beautiful. when there's a Kang, there's a Renslayer. Usually in the comics. So I'm kind of curious if we're going to get multiple versions of, Rava- of Ravana. That's very, that's very possible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. Um, oh, yeah. And... Another one I have to bring up because again I brought it up with the Council of Kangs type of thing. We know we're getting a Fantastic Four movie before we get to Kang Dynasty. Yeah. I'm curious um who we're gonna get for the villain of Fantastic Four because we have to we have to think that's gonna be a big movie as well. Um yeah, but here's and someone... Kevin Feige has also confirmed that the Fantastic Four is going to be a foundation for the MCU going forward after their after their movie. Good, because I want that, that means Kang Dynasty. That means Secret Wars. And yeah, but after here's... Multiverse Saga. Yeah, but here's one I want to bring up. So again, we're going to fight Multiverse stuff, and we talked about kind of the Kangs. I'm going to throw this out here because I want to see this, particularly in Secret Wars, if it's possible. If there's multiple Reed Richards, can we get a Council of Raids for Secret Wars, please? Because that would be very fun. <laughs> yeah, that that would be. that would be very fun. Uh, um, but you just have to think how taxing would be on the actor because well, well, for Jonathan Majors. I mean, well, yeah, for Kang, yes, but. I mean, for the actor you're going to get to play Reed Richards, I mean, you could literally do a Council of Reeds, and it wouldn't have to be that many. Oh, yeah. No, it wouldn't have to be that many. Yeah. Um, and I just and... think that would be great, because whoever gets to play Reed Richards, I mean, you just have to realize, this guy's going to be important to the infinite, to the multiverse saga and stuff, and if you're playing Reed Richards, whoever you are, you've got yourself a prime, prime, prime important role and you have to make sure that works. Yeah. And 
and Jonathan Majors was given was given the same role, the the same premise when he was cast as King the Conqueror. This is going to launch him into the stratosphere. This is a job that's that has set him for life for the next three years. four years. Ten plus years, I would say. Um, because and also to piggyback on the Secret War stuff. Yeah. The rumors that I had been hearing were that the I think I think I've heard of it, this rumor too that the Kang in Quantumania potentially got shrunken into the Beyonders in the multiverse. In the Beyondverse, and and some of the rumors that I had been hearing would be that the Beyonder, that the main villain of Secret Wars would be a Beyonder. Beyond the version of Kang, yeah. What if what we saw at the end of Quantum Mania was him going there into the Beyondverse, and he winds up taking the powers of the Beyonders? If that is the case, I would be. I would be against it because I would not be against it. I would be on for it because in my mind, I'm like. When I heard they were doing Secret Wars, my instant reaction was, please get Doctor Doom, because Doctor Doom's got a super important role in Secret Wars. Want me to tell what that role was? God Emperor Doom. Well, taking the powers of the Beyonder to become God Emperor Doom in order to make Battle World, in order for everyone to unite to fight him. You could literally just have Kang do that now, and I would not be angry at it. The only sad thing would be, no Doctor Doom, but my hindsight would be like, yes, but we're saving Doom for later, which means he's going to get a bigger role later on. So it's not a bad thing. Absolutely. And if those rumors are correct, and what happens to Kang, what I theorize what happens to Kang actually does come to pass, that is a perfect tie-in to Quantumania. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um... And yeah, and yeah, so uh, uh, again, I don't know what else there is for us to talk about Quantum Mania spoiler wise because <laughs> we we went in depth there for spoilers. Um, yeah, very so, in depth. so uh, overall review, then I guess so, marks are to 10. So, Craig, you're the guy that likes Ant Man, so I'm giving you it to go first. I'm going to put Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania at 8.5 out of 10. Okay, so that's an 85%, in case you're wondering. Um, I, honestly, as someone who didn't, doesn't like Ant-Man, and the, Ant-Man movies in particular, so I might as well point out this. Going into Quantumania, my bar was super low because I'm like, as long as you cut the humor and I don't hate it, you're, I'm going to enjoy this movie. So you've got a very low bar to beat. And I actually kind of like the fact that I have my expectations super low because I hate Ant-Man and I hate Ant-Man and the Wasp to that point. So when I watched Quantumania, by the time it was over, I was literally thinking that was a super solid MCU movie that sets everything up for the future, which is great. And if someone was asking me for a marker out of 10, I was thinking... I was honestly thinking it's an 8 out of 10. Like, it's a solid 8 because it sets everything up for the next, for, for this phase and the, phase and the, rest and the of next the one. So, saga. it makes sense. 
Yeah, and they've and uh, the top guys at Marvel have specifically said that Quantum Mania is the pipeline that leads to the Kang Dynasty. Yeah, and Secret Wars. So yeah, get ready for a wild ride, and yeah. get ready for some fucking mayhem in the MCU. I will say this though, not not that we've done our overall scores and stuff. I will say this. Uh, people who haven't watched, you know, uh, critics, they give Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania the same score as Eternals. And Eternals was, I wouldn't say Eternals was a bad movie. It was just, it's a superhero movie, and but there isn't really that much going, going on for it because they were setting up the Celestials and setting up that stuff. The difficult thing is, how does this tie into the multiverse? It doesn't really get. So, because of that, that low score can be considered justified. I will say this, though. How can you give Quantumania that same low score is beyond me. Yeah, when it's supposed to directly tie into the rest of the entire saga. Yeah, like, I honestly think that that was harsh from the critics uh, to do that. I would also say that might also be because the last thing critics reviewed uh, Marvel related wise was She-Hulk. That show was, oh, that show was pretty bad. Like I, uh, someone asked me how many episodes of She-Hulk are important or good. And I just said, you can watch the first two or three episodes and then you could skip the entirety up until the finale. And you would be okay. Like the subplot they did to build the villain was done so bad. It was so badly written, and the payoff of it was literally, it was done on purpose so we can do a four-four break, so that none of this mattered. That really pissed me off because <laughs> it felt like I wasted four or five hours watching a show that I wanted to get into. For no re- for no reason, and I know Craig, you can't really talk about this because you didn't watch the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think because that's the first thing we got after She Hulk, critics were hypercritical and wanted to low grade this movie. I don't think you can. I think this is a solid out of ten movie. I think it's great. Like. Is it the best MCU movie? No, um, I don't even think it's anywhere in. It's in the top half, but it's not in like the top ten. Not even anywhere. Yeah, it's it's and I've just gone to say it before. Even though Quantumania does not crack my top ten, it serves the purpose for what Marvel is trying to establish. And what they're trying to establish is that Kang the Conqueror is someone that should be taken deadly seriously, no matter the variant. Exactly. Um, and yeah, like I purposely, consi- I purposely saw that as soon as I realized we we're doing Kang the Conqueror, I was excited because I'm like, this is a character you could literally have give it to an actor and he can f- knock it out of the park because you have all these different versions of Kang, but you, you don't have to get a different actor each time. You just have to cast the same guy, yeah. um, which is what they're doing. And the one thing I'm hoping for, fingers crossed, um, down the line, because we did we did essentially establish our uh, stature in this movie. We've now got America Chavez stature. We have 
Shuri. Technically, it's Black Panther for now. Um, we have we, our new Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. We have Kate Bishop. We have Kamala Khan. We have... You know, Billy and Tommy have, Maximoff? Wicked and Speed? Potentially, yes. Because we do have our Wicked and Speeds. We, and also, Isaiah Bradley. Or Eli Bradley. So, yeah, yeah, sorry, Isaiah. He's Isaiah's black be... Captain America. I'm talking about Eli Bradley, the, the patient. His, yeah, his grandson. We essentially Eli have ourselves a many young Avengers group forming. And it's also been confirmed that Eli Bradley will be the patriot and... coming in Captain America New World Order. Can't wait Sam for Wilson's that. first solo outing as Captain America. Can't wait for that. That's going to be fun. Especially with Harrison Ford playing Thunderbolt Ross, who is a sorry, President Thunderbolt Ross. Oh yeah, my President God. Thaddeus Ross. Yep. Yeah. Can I also say that I called that too? Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> did. Yes, you did. We were talking about the whole thing that the American government was super aggro at Wakanda. I was going, wouldn't it be funny if the reason why is because the president's like fucking Thunderbolt Ross? And you all thought it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, but then they announced, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he is the president now. And I'm like, but this makes so much sense. <laughs> it does, it does. Some of these castings have set us up for the rest of the multiverse saga, and I can't fucking wait. Yeah, and, and okay, like, outside of the multiverse stuff, because the only other movie that is connected to the multiverse is Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, because the end of that movie sets up the next Doctor Strange movie where they're sorting out incursions and an incursion happens when someone fucks up royally and we've got a council of kangs running roughshod let's be honest we're not going to see a kang variant in dr strange multiverse in the next dr strange movie i wouldn't be surprised if the reasoning for that movie is because of the is because of the council's fucking meddling yeah no kidding it, it would make too much sense at this point um, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed going through this review with you, Craig. I know you have as well. Um, all in all, if I would say go out, watch Quantumania, or if you want to wait until it pops up Disney Plus, go ahead and wait. Yeah, it's a must watch though. If you want to get into the MCU, particularly with this multiverse saga, this is a must watch. So that's what we'll do us for today. Next time round, and I'm going to do this probably in a couple of weeks, we're going to do another movie review, but we're not doing one movie. We're going to do about seven in an hour. If you're wondering how we're going to do that, oh, it's simple. We're doing James Bond for the next three, four part vid episodes, so to speak. Uh, we're going from Sean Connery slash George Lansenby era to the Roger Moore era to the Dalton and Brosnan era, to Daniel Craig. I think by doing it like that, I think we can get through all 27 movies, including the one that's not canon, within that within yeah. those four hours. I think that's that's doable. And our next MCU podcast review will be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 when it comes out I'm in May. I'm going to cry! <laughs> oh boy, I may shed a couple of tears. Yeah, anyway... Hope you enjoyed this. See you guys in a couple of weeks when we get into our 007 reviews. <laughs>